We are in a, a new series that I think began back in June, beginning of June, um, and we're spending time in the upper room with Jesus, which really means we're spending time in the book of John, in the last, uh, not the last chapters, but it's John 13 to 17, and um, we're just looking at some of the final things that Jesus was saying to his disciples um, as they were having this last supper with Jesus. Um, and so, if you will, open your Bibles, turn to John chapter 14. And the passage that uh, I was kind of given to preach on is the latter part of John 14, uh, but I, I do feel like I'm going to overlap a little bit with what Mark preached on last week, um, because just to kind of get the greater picture of what exactly is going on. Um, a few weeks ago, uh, Nathan preached um, about uh, Jesus washing the disciples' feet and demonstrating uh, kind of his love in that way. We're, where we're now at in this time, in this Last Supper, is the disciples are getting the sense, well, Jesus has been telling them, that he's not going to be around um, in the same way that he's been around. And so he's, you would imagine that there's some natural questions that come with that, right? And the minute that there's this big, this is a monumental transition for these disciples who've been following Jesus for these years, and now they're like, okay, wait, what? You're going? You're not going to be here anymore? And it brings a lot of, like, questions about what the future is going to hold for them. Where is he going to go? What are they going to do? Because he's now leaving them all of that. I'm going to hit that pause for a second. We'll get to the passage in a minute, but this last uh, week or so, um, we have, my family, we are, we took a vacation. It's kind of the one vacation we're doing this summer down to San Diego and kind of up the whole California coast. And the goal of the, um, the vacation was, yes, relax, yes, be with the family. But really, um, the main goal was to uh, take my daughter to see different colleges because I can't believe we're at that stage, but she's starting to think about. So when we when we came to this church, she was two years old. So I just can't even. I can't, like it's like hard to fathom that she's like now looking at schools. But um, but as you're going through each campus, you know. Uh, you're asking questions like, hey, what do you think about this? And can you picture yourself here? And what does the future hold? And I can see in her, in, in the conversations we'd have, um, even, even the other kids who aren't quite as close to that stage, they start imagining, like, where am I going to be? Like, where am I going to land? What is the future going to hold for me? What location am I going to be? What place am I going to live in? And it's both this exciting, right, and scary time. And you kind of feel like in that moment that if I could get the answer to where I'm going to live, like what place I'll be in, then everything else will kind of start to fall into place, right? Like if I knew the destination, but there's this big kind of question mark about the future. And I started to think like, you know, I remember feeling that way going to college, um, but I also still feel like that, like a lot of times. I feel like if I knew, Lord, a year or two from now, what place you would have me in, then I would be able to prepare to know how to get to that place and how to be ready for that place. Like, if I knew what was going to be asked of me in my new job, if I knew what my track I was on, if I knew where my kids were going to be, if I knew that destination, then I feel like I could, like, create a map to get there. But that's not how life works, right? Like, we don't get told what place we're going to or where that place is, um, we kind of are along for the ride and end up in certain places and respond to situations. This is where the disciples are with Jesus. He's like, I'm leaving, and where I'm going now, you're not going to be able to come with me for now. And they're like, 
well, then where? Like it all, it all of a sudden disorients them, right? So there's four questions that the disciples ask. Each a different disciple asks a different question. Peter starts off first, and this is all the way back at the end of uh, uh, chapter 13, um, and it will get us to the passage that I'm actually supposed to be preaching on in a second. But um, so what the first question that Peter asks, if you look at it in um, chapter 13, verse 36, Peter wants to know, he says, Lord, where are you going? Like, I, okay, I know you're not going to be here, but tell me where you're going to be. And Jesus's response to him is, um, well, and, and then Peter's like, and uh, I will, f and tell me why I can't follow you there, right? So, so Jesus's response to Peter is, there, hey, look, there is a place. There's a place I'm going, it's a household, um, and I'm setting up rooms for you, and you will be in this place with me, but if you want to know the coordinates, if you want to know how to get there, I'm not going to tell you what the ultimate destination is. There is a place, but that place is not, like, you're not going to know it, see it, or have any idea of where it is yet. Just trust me that there is a place. This kind of harkens back to like when Jesus was, um, you know, it, or sorry, not when Jesus, when God was speaking to the Israelites back in the Old Testament, and he kept telling them that they were going to have this promised land, right? And he kept telling them, you're going to go to this land, you're going to go to this land. And there was, that was a physical place they knew they were going to. But what we start to see is that while there is a place where Israel is ultimately going to land, the Bible isn't so much about the geography. It isn't about the territory. It isn't about where they're going to finally rest their feet. It's a lot about the journey that they're on as they get there, right? And you watch that with the Israelites all the way in the, Old, um, in the Old Testament as they journey through the desert, right? There's lots of things God's trying to teach them, lots of switchbacks, lots of, lots of like indirect ways of getting to this place. There is a place, okay, that God is leading us. So that's important to understand, and he wants Peter to know there is a place. But the place is not the point, okay? That's what's critical here. The place exists. God is taking us somewhere to find. It's not some ethereal place. He is taking us to a place. There is a time when we will physically dwell with the God of heaven and the universe in a real place. This isn't just some magical, you know, anything. But the place isn't the point, right? That's not the point. And that's what he's trying to get at. Okay? So then another question comes up, right? Thomas then asks, well, if we don't know where, then how can we know the way? Okay? If you don't tell, okay, there's a place, but if we don't know where that place is, how are we going to know how to get there? I think this sums up so much of the internal questions that we have and frustrations that I ultimately have with God. Um, because my mindset is so much focused on where God's going to have me land. If you just told me where, then I would know what to do today, right? We were on our road trip, and we were coming up uh, the California coast. And every time, you know, you're driving through L.A., you're driving through San Diego, 
I use Google Maps all the time, and I, use, I have like two different map programs going on trying to tell me the best way to get where I'm going, but it always, because of all the traffic, it always starts with one critical question first. Where are you going, <laughs> right? Like Google Maps has no value, you know? And if you, don't, you know, if you don't use Google Maps and you're still in the Thomas Brothers guide, right? You know, hand searching. So, note on the Thomas Brothers, my very first job was pizza delivery boy and I lived by the Thomas Brothers and I tried to explain to my kids like, okay, there was no like phone in your pocket, there was no Yahoo Maps, there was no MapQuest, there wasn't any of that. I had a book and it had all the streets and I had to look it up. They had no idea, like, that this, you, could, you could execute life that way. But anyway, um, every, every time you want directions, you start with, where am I going? Okay? And this is a very natural question. Where am I going? When I think about my career, I'm thinking about what do I want to do in the long run? What job do I want to have? When I think about raising my kids, I think what do I want them to be like? What do I want to teach them? And I work backward from there, right? Like you start with the end in mind. I've been taught this as I've been growing up and you try to work towards that. So it's a very natural question that Thomas is asking if we don't know where we're going and we don't know the place we're heading how do we even get there? Hey, okay. I've thought this. I felt this way about my spiritual life too, right? God, if if the goal is for me to win people to Jesus, and and I know that the place I need to get to is to be an evangelist. Then I, need to, then I can work backwards and I can start to figure out what today I need to do to be good at the thing I need to get to. If the goal is for me to be on frontline missions or the goal is for me to serve the poor, then I know that goal and I work backwards on how I'm going to execute that, right? If the goal is to reach the city for Jesus, then how do we do that? And we work backwards. But here's the mindset that Jesus is trying to break these disciples of. And this is critical. I realized as I was reading this how much I have a place mindset where I'm focused and fixated on the place that I'm going to land, where I need to arrive at and how I achieve that thing. But Jesus is not... He's trying to break the disciples of this so that they understand that the ultimate goal is not a place. What is the ultimate goal? It's a person, right? It's a person. That's the goal. Because when G Thomas asks, how do we know... And we can't get there if we don't know how, where, we're, where we're ending up. What does Jesus say? I am the way. Well, Jesus, that wasn't where I'm going. And he's like, that's the point. You are constantly fixated on place. And in fixating on place, you are missing the person who is right in front of you. Okay? This is not a problem that is just relegated to these disciples in the, the upper room. This is the human problem. It was a problem in the Garden of Eden. They were with the person of God, right? And yet they were focused on what else they could get, what they could know, the place that they were headed, right? You, you get the people who are... Um, 
You get the people who are called, the Israelites who are called to go into the promised land. And the reason they end up spending 40 years in the desert is because they saw the place they were supposed to go and they didn't understand how to get to that place when there's all these big armies that were going to certainly kill them in the process. But had they focused on the person of God the first time around, they would have realized that God would get them to the place. Right? This is hard for me. I don't know if it's hard for you, but this is hard for me. And the way that I think and the way that I've pretty much gone through most of my life and continue to go to my, through my life as a follower of Jesus, um, but also like all of the natural parts of me think, tell me the end and then I'll figure out how to get there. Tell me the end and I'll figure, if I, figure out if I want to get there, right? Tell me where I'm going and then I'm with you. This is not the way that God works. And Jesus is trying to reiterate that. He says, I am the way. Okay? And the complexity of this for the disciples is that I think, you know, we give the disciples a hard, really hard time um, for all their questions and things they don't get. But, but really, think about it. Like, Jesus had just physically been walking around you know, Galilee and Nazareth and Jerusalem and asking people to follow him. And these disciples said yes. And they actually did leave behind what they had. And they actually were following the person of Jesus physically from location to location. They did what you and I hope we would do if Jesus was to enter this room and say to you, John, George, Mary, I get those are the only names I can think of right now. Um, follow me. And you, and you hope, and you hope that you were the one who says, yeah, I'll go with you. I'll leave behind my job. I'll leave behind all these things. Okay, so these disciples did do that. Right? And they had walked with Jesus. And they knew that all they needed to know was where Jesus told them they were going the next day. And Peter, bless his heart, is all in for that. He's like, hey, let's set up camp. We wake up in the morning. We eat whatever we eat, you know, in Palestine at that time. And uh, Jesus says, we're going to that town. Let's go to that town. I'm with you, Jesus, wherever you go. The only complication is that now you're not physically here, right? That makes it hard to know where to physically go especially when we're focused on place. Because now I get up in the morning and I go, well, Jesus usually said we go to that city. I don't know. Should we go to that city? Should we not? I think it's why in the end of John, they kind of go back to fishing. Because it's like, I don't know. He's not physically here anymore telling us, these weird things that he would have us do, going to these weird Samaritan towns we would never go to, intervening in these religious fights and squabbles that we were, never would have seen. You know, I mean, they were constantly at awe what Jesus was asking them to do, but now he's physically not there. Okay? What Jesus is trying to say is that he is the way and that our whole, our whole goal, right, is to be in 
proximity, relationship with him, hearing what he's saying and responding to it. Now, that we'll get to the question of, okay, but he's not there anymore. We'll get to that in a second. But I want, there is a, um, in The Pilgrim's Progress, uh, which is one of my favorite books of all time, there is this an a- a allegory where a Christian is on the way towards the celestial city, and there's hypocrisy, and it was uh, hypocrisy and I think formality, um, and they're hopping over a wall, they're hopping over a wall to join Christian on the, the path to the celestial city. And Christian says to them, like, look, uh, you're not, that's not the way. And they're like, well, we're just going to hop over this wall. And as long as we're in the same place you are, we know we're on the same way. And Christian says to them, the way isn't the path, right? The way is, the, is, is where we've been told to go. And the whole point of it is you can't shortcut the way. The way is not a physical place to be. The way has nothing to do with your butt sitting in these seats this morning. This is not the way, right? You coming to church on Sunday is not the way. The the way has everything to do with hearing the voice of Jesus and responding. And the way that God leads you is going to be different than the way that he leads me. That's how we can be in different places, but still on the way, right? So the, the, I can't go a single sermon without mentioning the story of the prodigal son. You have two brothers, two different ways that they respond to the heavenly father, but both have opportunity to be in the way, right? To hear the voice of the father and to come sit at the table. It's not what place they landed. It's not in the pig pen or on the farm and never having sinned or, you know, broken some rule. It's not, it's not that. It's about hearing the voice of the Father that determines whether we're on the way or not. Not being on the right team, not being in the right church, not having all the right doctrines figured out. It isn't that, right? It is hearing the voice of Jesus and responding accordingly, okay? So that's what he's trying to set up. And now, well, we'll get to the problem in a second, but are they in the end? So then that's the second question. The third question that comes after Jesus says, I'm the way, is Philip then says, show us the father. So he's he's asking Jesus, if you can show us the father, that'll be enough for me. And Jesus' response was, I am basically, I am in the father and the father is in me. Like we are the same thing. And, and you, again, the, the disciples, what they're focused on is they're like, okay, if you're, if, okay, if we're supposed to follow you, then let's think Old Testament. Like in the Old Testament, you had the tabernacle with this pillar of fire in the desert and, and we could see the glory of God or you had the mountaintop where Moses was on. And if we just, if we could see God in his glory that way, if we could know by pillar of fire, then we would know where to go and what to do and how to respond. So just show up in that way, right? Show us the Father in all the power and glory and might and manifestation that you possibly could imagine, right? And then we will know. And what does Jesus say? Have you not been with me this whole time? I am in the Father and the Father is in me. He's basically saying, you're looking right at the Father right here. And I'm 
telling you the way is washing your brothers and sisters' feet, right? That's the way. The way is stopping the religious from stoning, you know, the woman caught in adultery. The way is the way that Jesus went and walked and cared and loved, and that is the manifestation of God here on earth because what Jesus did, right, was God doing. He's like, you've seen the pillar of fire. In fact, even, I mean, there's the transfiguration that happens for these disciples. A few of them get to see the transfiguration. So God did come in all of his glory even when Jesus was here and didn't seem to make a, you know, huge difference, honestly. What Jesus is saying is, look, I've been with you always. I am the way. What I do is what you do. That, and, and where you go, stop fixating on the place. The place is there. I will take you to the place someday, and there's lots of room for all of you in the place. But don't ask me where that place is. Just listen to my voice, right? He keeps going back to that. And then he starts to get into the fact that he is going to now send a helper. Because I think that all of the questions the disciples have, they're genuine concerns. Jesus, if every morning I woke up by the campfire and asked you what city we were going to, and I just had to stay at your heels, physically it was a lot easier. But now you're going to go, and, and now you won't even tell me where you're going or how I'll get there. So how in the world am I going to hear the voice of God and know where to go? And he says, oh, the Father has given you the helper. And the helper is there to help you keep the commandments I've given you, to help you keep the word, to help you preserve what I taught, to help you guard what has been instructed to you, to help you remember when you might have forgotten. The helper is there to aid us, right? I think, you know, maybe some of the um, lessons I've learned. I don't want to call them mistakes. I mean, they are mistakes, but in some ways, but they're just, it's like part of just growing up as a believer is I've tried to see the things that Jesus did in the Bible, and then I try to replicate them, right? Because I hear that to be like Jesus is the goal. So now let me just copy those things and try to do those things the best that I can. And I either don't have the fortitude or resolve to do all the things Jesus did or um, I'm too weak and I quit or I forget, you know, situations. And, um, or quite frankly, I just say, no, I don't want to do that right now. I don't, I don't want to, you know, do what I know I should. But I think what Jesus is saying here is this isn't about watching me and in some way thinking that the goal is now to replicate all the things I do. The goal is still always the same, to hear my voice and respond with yes. And you won't have me physically with you. You will have the helper who will be speaking to you on behalf of the Father, on behalf, I mean, on his own behalf, he is the Father, he is the Son, it is all one, but he'll be speaking, the Holy Spirit will be speaking to you. And that's our role, is to listen to that voice. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you, disciples? That's a new way, that's a hard way 
to live when you're used to the physicality of Jesus being there. Right? But it's the only way to actually become people of the way also. It's like, I, you know, you, you get older kids and you start to, like, see this all play out with them. It's like, my kids are getting, you know, into their own and they're deciding big decisions for their life. And, and, and I know that there will be the days when they move out. And, and, and that's like my goal as a father is to help them move out and be on their own. And, I, you know, I remember in, you know, my early 20s, like when I was doing everything the first time, my brother and I were constantly calling my dad like, hey, dad, how do you pay a bail, bill? Hey, dad, do I really need insurance for this? Hey, dad, you know, hey, mom, what, you know, how do you handle the situation? And we're calling because you're like, you're just these babies, like, you know, like, don't, you're these adult babies who don't know how to do anything for yourself really yet, but you're experiencing it. But the day comes, you know, and we're kind of in those days now where I can tell my dad's like, oh, you haven't called me for a while to ask my opinion because I've kind of grown up and I make a lot of my own decisions. And sometimes my dad's advice is nice, but I don't need it the same way I needed it when I was growing up, right, and doing things for the first time. But that's the goal of life, right, is to start to operate independently and to start to embody maybe the values that my parents raised me with, hopefully, and some of them I have and some of them I don't. And, but but it, it's, it's not so much about needing to mimic everything they do, right? This is Jesus. I mean, his goal for these disciples is that these are going, the disciples are the founders of the church movement that we're still a part of today. And they did it without Jesus present in physicality, but they only did it by the presence of the Holy Spirit moving through them. And so we today, like, are, if, if we need the words of men to hear the Holy Spirit, if we need the words of women to hear the Holy Spirit, if we need the words of our fellow brothers and sisters all the time to hear the Holy Spirit, I, th I still think we're not grown up into what it is to hear and respond to the voice of God and to have confidence in that for you, what Jesus is asking of you, right? Because it isn't about the place you land in. It's about the person and the relationship that you developed and maintain. But it's, it's hard. I think what's important to understand is it's hard to keep that, though. Like, I don't say that flippantly. It's hard to, you know, yeah, it's hard. Give me a list of Ten Commandments. It's hard to keep all of those and do all the moral things I'm supposed to do. Yeah, that's true. But, like, I want you to think about some relationships that you had, maybe in the past, where you were really close, where it was really intimate, where you really cared for and loved this friend, or maybe it was, you know, an ex-wife, or maybe it was a, uh, you know, a girlfriend or boyfriend in the past, or maybe it was, you know, your best friend. Who knows? Who, just think about relationships you've had, significant relationships. Now, what do you think about the relationships that have changed or dissolved, or you would say right now, those significant relationships aren't what they were. And maybe, unfortunately, it's your marriage right now that you're in. You're like, I knew what it was like to be in love, and now I just wouldn't even characterize 
my relationship as a loving relationship. Maybe it was the best friend you had, and you guys, you're like, man, we haven't even talked in 15 years, or we got in an argument, and now it's kind of awkward and strange. Maybe it's your kids, and you're like, we're so close, but now it just feels like we're so distant, right? It's, it's hard. Okay, preserving relationship is brutally difficult, okay? It's hard, and I think sometimes it's easy to think it's hard because people suck, you know? <laughs> Frankly, those people suck. They're hard to get along with. They do hurtful things. If it was Jesus, it'd be easy to stay in relationship with him because he's perfect. He doesn't ever do anything bad to me. Hold on just a second. Let's just think about this. Relationships are hard because we are fickle, and so are the people that we try to love. You look throughout the whole Bible, and you see, like, it's pretty hard for all these generations to keep and preserve their relationship with God. It's hard, right? And it's hard because, I, don't, I mean, lots of different reasons, right? Just in the same way that you have lots of different relationships that aren't what they used to be. Sometimes it's just time and space goes by, and you slowly drift apart, and you don't really talk much, and that's sometimes where your relationship with God is. It, like, literally, you just haven't even prayed or opened your Bible or spoken or been vulnerable with God for years. Well, that's, that's where, how relationships break down. Sometimes it's because there's resentment that builds up. I don't need to do a psychoanalysis of all of our relational issues. Just acknowledge that they exist, right? And understand that when Jesus says, I'm going to give you a helper, that the helper is there to be that voice, to speak to us, to preserve our relationship with God and with others. And that is its primary function. And, and this is so important because then that makes the destination not about place, right? Right? It's not about place. God may whisper in your ear, go to Mexico. He may whisper in your ear, serve as a missionary to, you know, in uh, Madagascar. He may whisper in your ear, it's time for you to step up into full-time vocational ministry. He may whisper in your ear, start a small group, lead it. You know, he will whisper in your ear, help in children's ministry. You know, things like that. It's like, yeah, thank you, Lisa. That was for you. Um, God may whisper places to go, things to do, but at the heart of what the Holy Spirit is there to do is to help you to keep and preserve the commands that Jesus gave us, which is love God and love others, and that's hard to preserve relationship. It's, it's brutally hard, and what it takes is response to the Holy Spirit, humility, forgiveness, kindness, all of these things that it requires in order to actually, like, be the father to one another the way that the father was to us, right? We love because he first loved us. We, that, that's it, but it, it's the helper that gets us there. That's my whole point. And we have to become comfortable with hearing the helper's voice. That's what Jesus is trying to say to the disciples. Because he's like, you just used to mimic me and watch me and be surprised by what I could do. But there's a time that's coming where you will be doing things you never thought that you would do. You will be healing and you will be preaching and you will be leading and you will be filled with this helper that's telling you how to heal and, and, and respond and be Jesus. And, and it's going to be a mess out there.
and you'll forget. Everyone forgets. But the Holy Spirit is there to remind you, right? To keep, to keep, to keep, to preserve the teachings and ways of Jesus. And they're constantly under fire, right? I get really, really frustrated with all the headlines in the church and the dumb things that Christians do because I feel like it just makes me not want to say I'm a Christian. But the reality is none of that, like, if, if that's about arriving at some place or what something should look like. If I respond to the voice of the Holy Spirit, that is all I am called to do. And in that, it will produce fruit, which is love and joy and patience and kindness. And it isn't about the place. It's about the way. And Jesus is the way, right? That's what he keeps trying to say. But they're very fixated, as am I, on destination. It's really hard. That's the, my whole point here is it's just hard to move out of place mindset to people mindset. That's a hard, it's a hard thing for me. Maybe some of you, it's very easy. It is so hard for me to not think about destination and to instead think about trusting a person, the person of Jesus, the person of the Holy Spirit, the person of the Father, trust voice, you know. I... Um, when I, was, when I was, like, growing up in my faith, um, I would often use the analogy that, like, the Bible is my roadmap. It's like my Thomas Brothers, if you will. Um, shows me all the pitfalls and the terrain of life. And the Holy Spirit's my compass, right? It kind of points me to true north. And I use those tools to um, kind of navigate life, and that's sort of what it is to um, follow Jesus. I, I kind of, but there's something about that that's, as I've gone through the years and as I reflect on it now, that feels pretty clinical, right? Like, it's like my job to get from one point to another, and the Bible somehow is my roadmap to get there. Holy Spirit is my direction. And I just don't, I don't, I don't think that that's, I guess what I'm saying is that mindset is a place mindset, that there's some place that I'm going and that that's the goal. But Jesus isn't like that. And I think the Bible is a little bit more like a family history, right? Not, not so much a roadmap, but a history of your family and all the mistakes they've made in the past, all the good things they've passed on to you. And it's, and it's like a family history in that, like, I, you know, as I reflect on my, my family history tells me why I am where I am. It also tells me a little bit about what do I want to avoid in the future. But it also, but it doesn't tell me and it isn't a prescription for exactly what I'm supposed to do today, right? And, and I feel like the Holy Spirit's a lot more like what Jesus said it was. He's like a counselor and an advisor. Not a compass, just a counselor and an advisor as I'm looking at my family history and I'm trying to understand, but what does that mean for me now? What does that mean for me today? How do I respond to you today? How do I keep and preserve my relationship with you today? And the Holy Spirit is there to counsel and to empower and to like give you the effort <laughs> to try. He's both the fuel and the direction, right? The Holy Spirit 
if, if, if preserving the relationship that I have with God is probably one of the most difficult things that I would do, right? I mean, it's wrought with failure, <laughs> wrought with, I look at my family history, you know, generations after generations lose their relationship with God. So the challenge that Jesus says here is keep, keep my commands. And that spirit I have in you is there to speak to you and to do that with you, and in some cases, for you. But don't lose touch of the voice of the Spirit. Jesus is ultimately just trying to set them up for life without, them, without him there in physicality, which to them feels like a loss. And I think what Jesus is trying to say to, him, to, to the disciples and to us is the physicality of his presence and the place where he's taking us, not the point. The point is to hear and listen to the still small voice of the living God. And all who believe have the helper inside to manifest the living God here and now. Our role is simple. Our role does require effort and fortitude. It doesn't just happen. There is response on our end. There is the capacity for us to just say no and to miss out. He'll circle back. The whole helper will come back. Say, remember this? And so our job is to respond to the helper today. And so I guess my question for you as we end this this morning is what is the helper saying to you now? What is the helper saying to you about your relationship with the Father? What is the helper saying to you about your relationship with others? What is the helper saying to you? Don't worry about your spouse next to you. Don't worry about your friend and what the helper should have said to them. He doesn't care about that. What is the helper saying to you now, today? And we do that, and we are fulfilling what Jesus has set us out to do in the upper room, to just listen to his voice. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are just moving into a time of remembrance, and I think it's so fitting just to the fact that we are, have this physical thing that we do together to remind us of the spiritual reality of your, of your presence here in this room and what really makes us a family with all of our family history. Lord, we love you. We are listening to you. Now we call upon the Holy Spirit to empower us to respond in affirmation, affirmatively to what you ask. It's in your name we pray. Amen.